0: Thank you for tuning in to the Unjiggered podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing and giving us a rating on your podcast service of choice as it helps to grow the show and to find a new audience. Also, don't forget to like and tag us on Instagram at unjigged underscore media. Thank you to everybody for listening and now on with the show. You're listening to Unjigged a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week, we have Stuart Greger on the show, one of the founders of Four Pillars. We talk about his start in journalism, the differences in between the spirits and wine industries, as well as the founding of Four Pillars itself. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats really became the greats. So sit back and enjoy.
1: Three, two, one. day, Stuart Gregor, one of the founders of Four Pillars June in Hillsville in the Yarra Valley.
2: Thank you very much for finding the time to be here in uh, wonderful Singapore. How's the city
1: treating you so far? It's fantastic, actually. I just had a great lunch at Cafe Fernet. I went to about four bars last night, got a little function on tonight, head out to Changi tomorrow. Yeah, it's great. It's We have fun in Singapore. It's one of the great cocktail cities of the world, no question.
2: Tell us about you. First of all, what is it that you study, or what is it that uh, you grew up doing, and uh, how did you get to start to distill your own gin?
1: Well, I guess my background originally, once I left school, actually, I was a, I was a journalist, so I was writing for the for the for the newspapers in Australia, and then um, and then about twenty five years ago, in the very early part of the nineteen nineties, I, I I decided to pursue a career in the wine industry. Actually, so I went over and studied in South Australia. I studied. Um, what then was a wine business course. Uh, then I got a job working for a wine company where in fact I met for the first time Cameron McKenzie who's one of the co-founders of Four Pillars. He and I both worked in the wine division of a company called Mildara Blast which is today Treasury Wine Estates. So today they own Penfolds and Wolf Blast and Yellow Glen and lots of big brands in Australia. Big, biggest wine business in Australia. And then about early 2000s Cameron and I started just you know screwing around making some wine together um, in the Yarra as it happens. and. Fast forward another 10 years, I was running a, a marketing business, a, a, a marketing and public relations and events business that was basically um, working with a lot of the big distilleries, whether you know, we worked for Pernod Ricard, we did work for Diageo, we did work for a lot of the breweries in Australia, and Cameron and I were thinking, well, we drank a lot of gin and we thought well, it would be great fun to make some gin. Um, Australia wasn't making a lot of gin. That craft gin boom certainly hadn't hit Australia at that point. This is 2012 now. Um, so we thought let's give it a shot. And Cameron's a very talented guy, very dedicated, very hard working. And I was, um, I was entrusted to sort of, <clears throat> I suppose, create the brand and build the brand. And he was um, entrusted to make, to make the juice. And then we got a third partner in, um, uh, Matt Jones, who was the strategy guy, the clever, the clever one, essentially, that um, he sort of pulled it all together. And five or six years later, here we are now. You
2: mentioned that you come from a wine background. How did this affect the way that you produce your gin? Because you are in a quite big wine region, aren't you?
1: Yeah, well, the Yarra is a very famous wine region, so just an hour outside of Melbourne, and we've got some beautiful, a lot of Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, also some Cabernet and Shiraz. Obviously Shiraz, because we now make a a bloody Shiraz gin, as it happens, which is probably rapidly becoming our most sought-after and most well-known gin, I suppose. But um, I think wine helped us in a couple of ways. It got us some... I did a lot of wine judging and wrote wine books, so... It let me learn a lot about flavor, and I, 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 I took the the process of judging uh, really seriously. Cameron, working with me for so long, also has a palate that I trust, and so whenever we were blending, or whenever he was doing particularly hard work, and I was oftentimes at lunch, or you know, doing you know whatever it is that um, I supposedly do, we we're a very good <coughs> we're a very good team for tasting and. Uh, I think that probably helped us the most and also, I think working in the wine industry made us realise how hard it is and how much effort you have to put into selling and how much effort you have to put into marketing and and, and how much travel you have to do because the Australian wine industry is ultra competitive as the Australian gin industry is becoming increasingly so now. Um, It's a It made us realise that if we were going to do it, we had to do it properly.
2: What was the brief when you all put together your gin? I mean, what was the kind of style you wanted to pursue? Or what is it that made you think, okay, how do I stand out?
1: We wanted to do something that was not London Dry Gin. There are a lot of people who uh, make London Dry Gin in Australia, and good luck to them, but it's not something we wanted to do. We didn't want to make a style that mimicked something that already existed. We were very keen to make a style that we thought was a, a representation of modern Australia. So we took that as a bit of Asia, a bit of Middle East... And a bit of indigenous Australian flavour, um, pretty much what the Australian, the modern Australian food scene is, I suppose, amongst the, the great chefs who, who use sometimes use European techniques with some Asian ingredients, and then give it a, a flavour of sort of local indigenous Australian flavours. So that's pretty much what we were trying to do: make something that was unique, something that stood out, but also, most importantly, something that was absolutely world class. We we knew. The world did not need an Australian gin, so what they needed was another w- w- was was a world class great gin, and so that's where we started. You launched your gin in a period where there we can say that there's a boom in gins,
2: like there's like thousands of gins on the market. How did you create a brand that allowed you to sort of gain enough attention and traction in order for you to sell bottles? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, lots and lots of um, hard work, traveling, and meeting people hosting events and training bartenders and you know, we built a beautiful home in, in where you've been in the in the Yarra Valley where, you know, we can take we take this year maybe a hundred thousand guests through the process of how we make the gin and tasting the gin. And that's a rare gift that we have that a lot of other gin brands don't have is that ability to show hundred thousand people a year your home. And just a old fashioned sense of um, perseverance. We just we knew we had to work really hard to make this work, and and I guess we were lucky in an Australian context in that we were probably a year or two ahead of a lot of others in Australia. Australian gin market now is quite big, is it? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Um, when we when we started making gin in 2013, I think there were probably there were probably less than ten distilleries seriously pursuing gin. And today there would be 180. So, that that, that number is terrifying. Um, it's I, I work a bit with the Australian Distillers Association and on, on this very weekend, on Sunday, we have our annual conference. There's 196 people coming to the conference. In 2015, we had 32.
2: That's crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's um, and of those thirty-two, I think four of them were from Four Pillars. <laughs> so it is crazy. The growth, in, the growth in, gin in Australia is phenomenal, and I, I hope it lasts. But I also hope people who are coming into it are aware that they're entering a really, really competitive field. Do you think the market is a bit oversaturated at the moment? <laughs> I get asked, I get asked that a lot. Um, <laughs> it, not by Four Pillars. <laughs> we've got a lot of it. We've got a lot of opportunity to grow. I think. Um, I think it may be oversaturated with brands and products that don't mean anything, that don't have a clear differentiation, that don't have a clear reason for bartenders or consumers to want that brand. Um, There's too many, it's, it's not dissimilar to wine in Australia. There are too many products out there that taste the same, look the same, cost the same and essentially are the same. And uh, we just hope we're not one of them. We just hope that we continue to show people that we're different and hopefully better. You mentioned
2: a lot uh, the similarities in between the spirit industry and the wine industry, specifically in Australia. But what are the things that uh, set them apart, that make them different? Because you've worked in both, right? Yeah.
1: I think um, one of the big differences is... The difference between a, a cocktail bartender and a sommelier—I <laughs> um, um, I won't say what that is—but I think you get a sense. I, I have a lot more fun with bartenders than I ever did with sommeliers. So okay. I'll just—I'll leave it at that. There is a sense of um, there's a bit of a sense of adventure. One of the big differences is that when you make a wine and deliver it to a sommelier or a store, that's—it's it's over. All they have to do is open it and pour it. Whereas when you deliver it to a cocktail bartender, there's a million different expressions that they can use. They can turn it into a great cocktail. They can turn it into a G and T. They can turn it into something that they've created themselves. It's a it's a more adventurous and it's a it's a it's a it's a livelier scene. You know, wine. I, I love wine and always have, but wine can sometimes take itself far too seriously. Um, Yet, I, I don't think spirits does. And that's one that I think for Cameron and I and, and, and Matt, that's one of the things that we love the most is that you can be very serious about the craft of making it. You don't have to be serious about the delivery of it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big differences between wine and spirits, I think. Do you think wine could do with a bit more fun? Oh my gosh, yes. Because <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> I'm wondering, like, I think there is this element of a food pairing, which is what drives most wine sales, I think, nowadays. so mm-hmm. people like, will, will approach wine thinking... Oh, what do I pair it with? When do I drink it? But I think it's a very rigid st- structure. At least that's how it feels. Like, I, I work with wine relatively little. Mm. I, I love wine. I drink a lot of
1: wine. But it just feels like such a serious thing. Oh, right? my gosh. There is, I, I often say to people that... that There are a lot of rules in life, things you can and can't do that are important. You know, whether it be with family or children or anything else. You don't need another set of rules about what you can drink and eat. So, (laughs) oh shit, I'm having fish, so I have to drink riesling, or I'm, you know, you just relax, have fun. If you want to drink red wine with fish, or you want to drink whatever the hell it is, then then drink it. And one of the things we do with our gin is we. We allow people to, I mean, they can, they can do what they want with it. We've done our very best at making the most del- delicious gin we can and we've made a whole range of gins, whether it's a navy strength or one that goes in a Negroni or a bloody Shiraz gin. And then people can do what they want with it. They can sip it neat. They can put it into a gin and tonic. They can turn it into a gimlet. They can make a bloody jasmine. And I want them to play with it. I want them to be playful. I want them to have fun.
2: Uh, We talked about your uh, bloody Shiraz gin. Would you like to talk a little bit more about it? As I think it's uh, one of your flagship products. It's
1: certainly one that we really love. We now crush more Shiraz making bloody Shiraz gin than we ever did when we made wine for (laughs) 16, no, no, about 15 vintages.
2: Isn't that Uh, ironic though?
1: It is incredible. We are now the second biggest um, purchaser of Shiraz in the Yarra Valley. Uh, Shut the front door. Number (laughs) two. Shut the front door, No. Um we – look, it came from – it was one of those um, experiments that went well. Not all of our experiments went well, but basically we were making wine. This is before we had our big, beautiful um, distillery in Hillsville. We were making wine out the back of a mate's winery, Rob Dolan Winery in, in a little suburb outside of Melbourne. And he had a small parcel of Shiraz and we tipped some high-proof gin over the top of the Shiraz and just stirred it around, thinking in the back of our minds that we might release what was loosely a riff on a slow gin – Oh, okay, we right might here. we might release it on World Gin Day. This is in uh, 2015. Um, and we made a few hundred bottles of it. Um, it was my wife who actually named it because I was trying to come up with a wine term, to you know, when you bleed the colour out. So basically all it is is gin poured over Shiraz grapes, stirred around for about eight weeks. So it's just steeped. So you've got the flavour of the Shiraz grapes, you've got the gin, then we add more gin. And... Um, I was trying to think of a way to describe it in the way that I still had my wine thinking. So, Sagné, to bleed, to bleed Mm -hmm. the colour out of a grape. Sangiovese, you know, the the blood of Jesus, you know. So, Sangio, blood was bleeding, was always in my head. And then I couldn't come up with a a name for it. And my wife just went, Oh, it's just a bloody Shiraz gin, which is a very quintessentially Australian thing to say. (laughs) And I went, Oh my God, yes, it is. It's (laughs) bloody Shiraz gin. And. And now we, we will pick over a hundred tons of Shiraz this year just for the bloody Shiraz gin. So it's a, um, it's a big enterprise now. It's a serious, it's a serious gin now. Have you noticed that you see any vintage differences? Yes, yes, very much so. Very much so. Um we've noticed that the way we're making it is better each year, you know, we're we're, we're making sure that we fill tanks up now or lots and lot, lots of tanks now and we um we've noticed that when it's a cool harvest or when it's a little bit overcast or a little bit cooler that we definitely get some spicier notes last year for the first time we tried to, we we picked two two batches of the shiraz in order to try to get some of the cooler spicier pepper notes from from the from the from the yarra and then some sort of riper black currant notes as well so yeah there's definitely some differences even even um just 2 days ago i was in uh, i think it was in, in bangkok and we were drinking the 2018 vintage which is very different to the 2019 vintage and as they get older they evolve a little bit as well i found myself really liking the the older one, which, and I normally only like the younger ones, but I really liked the 2018 when I had it just two nights ago.
2: You visit quite a few markets with your uh, job because you managed to travel to many different countries. Is there any market that specifically surprised you in terms of cocktails
1: or drinking culture? Um, the one that that snuck up on us fastest is is, is this market right here is Singapore. Um, Singapore did not have this degree of cocktail culture a decade ago that it has today. It has been a phenomenon of the last for us of the last seven or eight years. The calibre, the way that Singapore has so quickly ascended to the throne of being the region's capital of cocktails is quite phenomenal. If you look at it from a from a distance, it's it's astonishing. Um, so that's probably been um, it for me. The Sheer volume of gin that people are drinking in the UK, despite Brexit and everything else, is is extraordinary. And the number of new gin brands in the UK, um, in and around England and Scotland, is is incredible. And I don't know if that's sustainable. The, the, if if I think the growth in Australia is huge in gin brands, the growth in the UK in gin brands blows your mind. Um, and I guess I I hope. And I think we're seeing some slight opportunities of the, of the Americans starting to get more into gin. Very strong vodka, very strong tequila. Um, but we're starting to see some shoots of growth in, in, in gin in the U.S. And I know the big companies think that the U.S. is about to start its own gin boom soon. Hopefully,
2: but the US is such a huge market. I, I thought
1: Jing uh, was already well established in there. Is it not? No, not not as well as it is in, in as in markets here. It's a very strong. It's a it's a very strong agave market. Um, mescal and tequila are growing fantastically well on both sides of the country and in the middle. Vodka still owns uh, the 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 mass premium market. I suppose. I mean, if you look at a brand like Tito's, which is still one of the five fastest growing brands in the U.S. despite oh, the fact it's unbelievable. that it's a phenomenon. Um, but they are, and, and gin exists in small pockets of sort of what you would call the sophisticated CBD markets. So, you know, very much Manhattan and Brooklyn and, and San Francisco and parts of L.A. But gin still hasn't got right through to the broader mainstream like it has, for instance, in the U.K. or even in some cities in Asia.
2: I wouldn't have thought. I thought gin would be a massive market for the US.
1: It is. It's big by sheer numbers because there's yeah. so many people drinking. But not but, in terms uh, in of percentage, percentage. Not in terms of percentage. Is that a market that you want to tackle now? Or Yeah. Yeah, we're in about eight states. It's a very difficult market to sell spirits. Very difficult. Because every state has a completely different law. Ah, legislation. I thought oh, it was like no, one but, key to open… No, 50 different countries. Ah, okay. It's, it's really, really complicated. Um and it's, you know, it, certain things you can do in California, you can't do in New York. Uh, retailers can't, you know, a, a, a supermarket can't sell spirits in New York, but a supermarket can sell spirits in California. In some states, the government controls all liquor, and in some states, the government just controls hard spirits. It's a, it's a very complicated market. And, um, but it's one that, yeah, we, 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 we go very well. We go well in, uh, um, in New York, we go well in California, but we hope to do better. Uh, what do you think is the future of your brand? <laughs> great success, enormous sales, great <laughs> adoration from the bartending community, and hopefully, um, uh, look, I, uh, look, uh, we just hope that we continue to be able to share what it is. It's the best job in the world. I mean, honestly, I can get a bit tired sometimes. I'm a little too old for this now. I just turned 50 um, you look, you look 35 tops <laughs> right now. I feel 65. <laughs> do but, um, it is, it, I, I want us to be able to do more. You know, we, we're building a beautiful gin lab um, in Sydney that'll be open in March next year, where we're going to be able to bring bartenders from all around the world to show them and teach them and work with them around how to make great gin drinks. Uh, we're going to expand our distillery. So we're going to have more stills, more hospitality. We're going to do more things with our waste because we want to be a zero waste. Uh, distillery uh, in a couple of years Um, we we, you know we we feed our botanicals to pigs we make marmalade we we're we're making salt and vinegar salt and gin vinegar crisps like chips we call them in Australia Um, we're going to use every single thing that we use we're going to try to reuse and repurpose so and then just continue to spread the gospel about how great Australian spirits are you know, but there's there's still probably not enough Australian spirits out there in the mm-hmm. global market. So, if we can lead the way and open a few doors for some of the guys behind us, we'd we'll be very happy with that.
2: That's great. Uh, last question I ask to everyone: If you could choose your very last drink, what would that be? <laughs> Corpse Reviver Number
1: Two.
2: I <laughs> like of, that. <laughs> it'll
1: bring me back to life. <laughs> there you go.
2: You just cheated. Well done. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. It was awesome to talk to you.
1: Thank you very much, Macale.
0: <laughs> We hope you enjoyed our chat with Stuart. We are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram, and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariothi89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself, and Adrian Bessa for Adrian. Thank you very much.